You're listening to the Spirit Hunters on the Greenlit Podcast Network. It's what I would say on a normal week, but heads up, y'all. We recently joined a podcast network with some of our favorites, including the likes of the Retronauts, Hardcore Gaming 101, and Apocrypals, because we want to work together to expand our reach, continue to provide high-quality content, and maybe get some new collaborations on. Anyways, don't worry. For the time being, the show will be exactly the same, but you'll hear a little bit of cross-promotion and discussion of stuff that hopefully interests you. Come check us and our comrades out at greenlitpodcast.com. Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of The Spirit Hunters. This is Sarah. This is Joe. And it is just the two of us this time. Yeah, everyone's kind of been scattered to the winds due to the current situation. Uh, We'll probably come back fuller force soon, but um, coordination's been a bit hectic uh, with everyone shuttling between, I guess, quarantine safe zones. Yeah, I mean, it is something unexpected, unprecedented, but... We're doing our best to stay safe, and we hope that all you guys out there are doing your best to stay safe as well. And yep, it- sounds good. Be careful, everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but speaking of something where people are not being careful and suffering terrible consequences, go <laughs> ahead. So last time, we learned about the trials at Zevil Island. While Gon trains for the hunt, and Hisoka is sitting on his GD ass. This time, we get a better glimpse at Hisoka's true nature and throw it over to this week's research topic, which is hunting, games, and death in fiction. You better get ready. So, uh, we're covering episode 16 today, Defeat and Disgrace, which is from from, uh, Haiboku Haiboku to Kutsujoku. Uh, in the Japanese release date is January 22nd, 2012. And in the U.S., it was uh, August. Yeah, August yeah. 13th, 2016. <laughs> Sorry, it was written numerically, and I always forget the uh, number order of the months. Anyways, <laughs> the manga chapters covered are 27 and 28, with the Japanese release date of the first one being September 28th, 1998. So we're still at 98. And uh, for the 99 series episode, it's uh, 23 and the like episode release of that was April first, two thousand. April Fools, everyone. Ooh. Which is uh, we're remarkably close to the twentieth anniversary of the ninety nine episode of this. Oh dang! Anyways, uh, on to the episode. Uh, the episode starts with Hisoka spots Kurapika and Leorio, and of course licks his lips before pursuing. Gon debates letting Hisoka attack his friends in order for the badge. So uh, a little bit of like, you know, Gon had previously talked about his plan mm-hmm. of attacking Hisoka mid-attack. But this one sort of puts that into question because he's attacking people that Gon cares about. Because like, while Gon probably should care about like anyone being pursued by Hisoka, this is a special case because it's people he, you know, actually knows. Right. It does actually put like a more, a, like not just a personal conflict, I guess moral as well, but it kind of is like morally the right thing would do not not to let anyone attack anyone but it, i feel like it's more personal since it's his friends us gone has more of like an incentive to kind of think about what he should do mhm so uh kurapika uh deduces that him and leorio are not hisoka's primary targets and therefore decides to bargain with hisoka and he takes the, like, he gives uh, Hisoka the single badge worth only one point or to fight them. And basically, this is kind of like a step up from what had previously happened where him and Leorio just ran from Hisoka. Um, it's kind of emphasized their growth because I think I had previously mentioned in the last episode that uh, part of the reason I'm not a huge fan of this section of the anime and manga is because it feels like a reprise of the stuff from the Millsy Wetlands. But it is cool that it shows character growth and sort of a difference between then and there. Um, so I do like the sort of parallel structure. I, I still think it could have been done better, but like they're doing the best with what they with what they created. Right. So this, um, yeah, it kind of just feels a little redundant in a sense. But mm-hmm. I guess it has to be redundant in order to show character growth. But I guess it still yeah, doesn't make I, it exactly fun and exciting either. Yeah. I wonder how much of it 
could be alleviated if they made it look different, even if the situation was similar. Because I wonder mm-hmm. if I was just suffering visual fatigue because it straight up looks like, oh, we're just in the Millsy Wetlands again. Right. I wonder if that's something that the anime decided to do, or is that something that was also in the manga? Um, It feels that way in the manga, too, but I think it's more noticeable in the anime. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so Hisoka purrs, uh, according to the subtitles, and accepts to take the badge. Uh, Kurapika leaves the badge in a tree, and Gon is relieved Hisoka didn't kill his friends. So that kind of solves itself, which is nice, because it it kind of... Um, I've previously described Hunter x Hunter as like deconstructionist of a lot of shonen, uh, in that you know it often takes situations that are in a lot of shonen anime and sort of like puts a spin on them. And this could be seen that way, even if it's not intended so but the idea of like oh main characters friends actually have their own agency and ability to resolve conflicts themselves which is like really cool because like there are a lot of good shonen where you see that but like this is uh, a nice way to see it early in a series as opposed to later on right especially when usually the supporting cast is really basically supporting they're not usually characters really on their own without like the a direct relationship to the main character. Yeah, I guess um, on that note, like, sort of, how are you, uh, like, do you sort of feel that each of the characters has, like, their own lives um, and, like, inner, I guess, like, inner life and and thought process to this point? Because I feel they're all pretty well fleshed out and independent in a way that um, is really refreshing. Yeah, I think so. I think there's enough like background information and they obviously all have like very unique and also uh personalities and also like their how they each approach situations is not only just entertaining but it's also engaging for as a as an audience so i feel like they all stand on their own it doesn't really feel necessarily like they're all pigeonholed to be like Gon's, like Gon's crew. <laughs> Gon mm-hmm. obviously is like the main character. He's, I don't think he gets overshadowed by anyone. Um, but they don't, but like everyone else doesn't really like take a backseat either. So I yeah. think that's what I like so far. Hisoka performs a magic trick and goes into a bloodlust, purple haze kind of state, and Gon is terrified. Uh, spoiler, this is another kind of Nen, which is saying, uh, Megan wrote, I, I think she's correct, but I'm not sure which Nen power this is. And, mm-hmm. uh, since it's just me and Sarah, I'm not really going to get into discussion of that simply because you haven't seen that part. So it's not really going to mean anything anyways. I was thinking it's just so similar. Killing intent, killing in that creepy crawly feeling is just, is it, it seems so common in anime. Yeah. So... It definitely is, and I think this is supposed to be like a specification of that because the way the power system works, um, killing intent can be sort of understood as a manifestation of the power system, like mm-hmm. people like sensing it, and so like they kind of try to ground it in a system that has like rules. That makes sense. It's just like so I'm we'll thinking see. if it's uh, something cultural, it's specific it's cultural, to Japan. But- or because I don't well, really so remember the killing intent in thing. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Oh no no go ahead. The killing intent thing is cultural, but I feel that like in Hunter Hunter they go out of the way to ground it in a power system that's otherwise like well explained quantitatively and qualitatively mm-hmm. to sort of like make it so that there's like a material or mathematical or like empirical sense to what it's doing and why it's sensible, but this is something that will be discussed once we get to, like, episode 25 and beyond. Okay. So something to keep in mind for now? Pretty much. Cool. So, uh, in the morning, Hisoka walks like a zombie to find his next victim, and it's the old dude in the blue robe. I don't even know this dude's name because they are so tremendously underdeveloped. Like, did, did you ever hear it? I think I know who you're talking about. The guy with the big nose? Yeah, but I don't remember his name at all either. I don't think anyone knows his name, actually. Probably probably someone will respond like, oh, it's clearly this. How'd you guys miss it? But, like, you know, 
Hmm. Yeah, sorry guys, uh, we, we failed. But uh, go and figure out based on the trajectory of two where they're going to meet, where they're going to meet. And Megan basically wrote a little story problem in here. It says if train A leaves the station and train B leaves the station at such and such time, and they're going at these different speeds, when will they collide? Do you guys? Uh, that that was definitely like one of my favorite uh, applied story problems in like algebra and shit. Were you a fan? No, not at all. I think anything with like anything like that or anything with statistics, I was not a fan of. I think I was actually more a fan of geometry and shapes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, I'm actually really bad with statistics, but I'm fine with like intersection and stuff like that. Uh, but anyways, uh, Hisoka does a Naruto run, and uh, Megan notes, by the way, I hate that scream he does during it. It freaks me out, but Gon grabs the badge as Hisoka murders that dude, and Hisoka looks so proud of his of his son or prey or whatever, I don't know, the guy he wants him to call daddy, the guy he wants to call him daddy, I guess. Oh, man. Actually... This is a really cool scene because it really just showed, like, Gon really taking his time and planning out when exactly he wanted to make his move. And all the training that he did, quite obliviously, by the way, because it was almost like it, he was so singularly focused and like, I gotta catch that badge. I gotta catch that badge. That he literally tuned everything else out. So the fact that to see his hard work pay off, I, f- I would feel proud, too. I felt proud. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a good moment. Um, I kind of, you know, so people now make jokes about, uh, I, I think I saw some, like, just, like, meme where it was a dude, like, you know, just dressed, like, kind of ludicrously sitting on top of a balcony overlooking, like, another person, and it just says, you know, the way anime villains look as they watch their uh, rival get stronger so they can crush them in the finals, and I, <laughs> it was just definitely one of those moments. Oh, yeah, for sure, and they, they did mention before that probably one of the reasons why I tra- the hunter exam or Hisoka specifically is because he's always looking for that the one to beat and who's going to yeah. live up to those potential and his standards and I guess Gone definitely is a wild card in that sense mm-hmm. so uh, Gone is feeling accomplished after doing this but collapses suddenly and uh, remember his stalker? Uh, Garetta shows up and basically gives him a speech about how he had about the number 7,000. <laughs> because he says, oh, that's the number of times you tried practicing, like, casting your, your fishing rod. It's also the amount of times I could have killed you. Sort of in reference to, like, not only were you learning to attack people while they were, like, uh, transfixed with, like, the hunt. Like, that was something I was doing to you, kid. And Goretta chooses not to kill him. He basically says, like, you know, like, you have a lot of potential, uh, like, go on or whatever. But, uh... Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not going to last super long as uh, Gon watches a butterfly get trapped by a spider's web and the spider is paralyzed. Uh, uh, no, the spider's paral- the uh, butterfly is paralyzed and so is Gon. So a uh, little bit of a symbolism here. The uh, butterfly ends up struggling through the web but ultimately dies. You know, Ooh. it's like a bad portent for the future of Gon. So... Does that mean that the poison will eventually kill him, or that's what Garota would think to do? Even though, tech, but he just didn't want to do like the immediate action of killing Gon because he's like, "Hey, you you got what it takes. Maybe if you don't die so, for this." The show actually uh, sort of fakes you out because you think this is about Gon and Garota, but it's actually about Garota and Hisoka. Because uh, Hisoka, in a weird way, comes to uh, Gon's rescue because he straight up murders uh, Goretta and uh, like brings back Gon's badge. Ooh, so um, the reason that I say I know for a fact this is about Hisoka is one, Goretta's dead, mm-hmm. but right. two, uh, later you'll find out that Hisoka is in some way associated with spiders. Hmm. So. Uh, Basically, Hisoka tells Gon that he the poison that was used, he, it should take, like, normally ten days to recover, but Gon will stand up pretty soon, and he wants to give back, uh, Hisoka, Gon wants to give back Hisoka's badge because he feels he didn't earn it, which, you know, Hisoka's basically telling him, like, no, take this win, you fucking idiot, keep on going. 
Yeah. Uh, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I also, yeah, I was very uh, frustrated at this scene because maybe as me, I would just take, I would take the L, <laughs> but technically it would be a win. <laughs> Wait, but, when you, you say know. you'd take the L, do you mean you would try to give back the, the badge as well? Oh, no, I would take the the L of Honor and just take the badge, yeah. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't get, I would be like, okay, bro, thanks. I wouldn't try to fight again. <laughs> yeah, Gon's definitely, you know, that anime protagonist who's like, no, I didn't earn this, this isn't right. It's very much like when Yusuke killed, like when Yusuke possessed, killed Sensui, and was trying to just say like, no, like, we'll have a do-over, like, Kurama, please try healing Sensui. Oh, yeah. uh, because like I don't deserve this or whatever and then since we was like hey guess what I was actually I have hyper cancer watch out um but yeah you know speaking of uh incredibly brutal deaths uh time to rate that death uh in this segment you know for anyone who hasn't been paying attention and sorry if this is your first episode we take a time out from our notes to assess the gruesome demises of some of our favorite characters uh so how do you feel about the death of uh, Goretta slash uh, the guy that we determined looks a lot like Black Peter? Um, pretty solid. I'm trying to remember visually what it looked like, but I guess in terms of impact, it did it did surprise me. I was not expecting it, but actually, I kind of was at two because you know, anyone who happens to be. <laughs> Uh, darker than the average Japanese anime character tends not to survive long or tends to fade away in the background. So I guess I wasn't too surprised. Yeah, what would you give it out of 10? Out of 10? Um, I would say an 8. But Yeah, maybe... I'd give it like a 7. 7 yeah. or 8 sounds, you know, right. Because, like, it is, it is frankly shocking because... He just beat the shit out of Gon, and, like, he's clearly, like, pretty skilled. So you're thinking, like, oh, this guy, like, maybe Gon will get this guy later. And then it's like, no, he's just fucking dead. Yeah, that's how, that's how I feel. But, I mean, when it goes to, like, the close-up watching the anime, I was very surprised. I was like, I wasn't expecting this. Um, so I think it was, like, pretty impactful. Yeah. Uh, I'll get into how he dies in the manga, because it's, it's going to be a different rating, that's all I'll say. Okay. Uh, so, after this, Hisoka refuses Gon's offer to give him back the badge, because he wants he wants to wait to kill Gon for... Uh, no, he wants to wait to kill Gon. He says, I will take it back only when you can punch me in the face like that, because he had just beat the shit out of Gon. And Gon sulks in a tree with peaceful piano music. It's like, actually, this is very directly similar to the part in Yu Hakusho after Genkai's death, where Yusuke in his rage punches Toguro really hard, and then Toguro punches him back through a fucking entire forest, and Yusuke collapses against a tree. Yeah. It is very similar, and it, in its actual core, it's kind of like the same idea where the antagonist is trying to motivate the hero to become stronger. Because he's like, yeah, you, uh, you aren't he, shit right now, but I know you can be, so work up to it. Mm-hmm. Hisoka is definitely the, uh, he is the Tagoro of the series, as like weird as that sounds, because like outwardly mm-hmm. they don't seem similar. Right. Um, and the way they fight is very different, but the idea of being driven for like the the desire to fight an incredibly strong opponent in Toguro's case to die, and mm-hmm. in Hisoka's case to defeat them, right, uh, is is interesting. Yes, because it's it's interesting you say that because when you first look at him and you try to compare him to another Yohaku show character, you would probably think he would be more like Sensui in the sense that he seems very cold and analytical and but not quite in the way that but his motivations are more similar to Goro which is interesting yeah he's a cross between he's a cross not in equal parts necessarily between Toguro Sensui and uh, the beautiful Suzuki <laughs> is that terms of just looks or um, also personality I think looks mostly, but there's a bit of vanity that Hisoka has that, like, the that Sensui and Toguro could not give a shit about. Oh, that is true. That is true. 
Yeah, like, Hisoka, you'll find out more, is incredibly vain. Oh. Oh, I can't So, uh, the episode title, uh, Mm -hmm. Defeat and Disgrace... Sorry, were you about to say something? Oh, no, no. Go ahead. The episode title, Defeat and Disgrace, Haiboku to Kutsujoku, uh, comes from, uh, some interesting, you know, characters. We'll, We'll get into it. So, Defeat, Haiboku... Uh, comes from the Chinese phrase for to be defeated, which uh, has high. Uh, so the character for high is a counter word. Uh, here, a counter for losses, uh, which is pronounced he, uh, hey, bay, high, or by, uh, depending on like what sort of word it's in. So it's like one of those that's like, Jesus Christ, you have to have very contextual knowledge to know how to pronounce this character. Um, and it's pronounced like by uh, approximately in most modern Chinese languages uh it's from bipok in middle chinese and comes in as like bai bay and bai bai in like different uh modern chinese variants and ho- uh hoku which is the second character you know haiboku but it comes in it's originally pronounced hoku but comes in as boku because of rendaku uh means north uh and it can also mean like escape is also pronounced hoku and sometimes boku depending on you know the rendaku condition and ironically the rendaku uh pronunciation the boku is probably closer to the original chinese pronunciation uh the because the cantonese pronunciation is bak the middle chinese is pak and the korean book and viet uh vietnamese bak so Basically, if you were to su- summarize why these two characters, like, counting and escape, mean uh, defeat, you can look at it sort of, when you have to count how many times you've run away, you've probably lost. Ooh, dang. Uh, and so, the second part, humiliation or mortification, kutsujoku, uh, the first character is to bend slash yield, which is read kuchi slash kutsu, and you compare this to Middle Chinese uh, cute, or uh, modern Hakka Chinese cued. And this is kind of interesting because normally when I discuss these, uh, the types of Chinese that will reflect the Japanese pronunciation are Middle Chinese, because that's what influenced Japanese pronunciation back in the day, and Mm -hmm. Cantonese, which is very conservative to Middle Chinese pronunciation. But for some reason, Hakka, which is a minority language from an interesting ethno-cultural group in China, reflects this. Uh, you, You guys should look them up, but they're... They live in southern China now, but they moved from northern China, so they're sort of an interesting group. Um, so the second character uh, for Humiliate is read as Joku in uh, Kan On, which is the second oldest wave of uh, Chinese pronunciations in Japanese. And the reading for it in uh, the oldest readings from Chinese is Niko slash Noku uh, from Go On. And this is interesting because if you look at modern Chinese varieties, the difference, the differential pronunciation is reflected in different dialects of Chinese. So it is pronounced in different Japanese words as uh, as joku or niko slash noku. Hmm. And in Cantonese, it's juk, which is similar to joku. And in Middle Chinese, it's nyok, like niku. So in Chinese, the fourth meaning for like the the fourth meaning of humiliation is an expression of like humble gratitude, like you know, basically saying like, "Oh, I am such like it." In in English, if you go back far enough, humiliation and humility and being humbled all come from the same root, but you often don't think of them uh, as the same right. thing. And so it's interesting that in Japanese and Chinese the word for humility and for being humbled or humiliated are also inherently related. So uh, if you were to take the entire thing as a whole, uh, you could also, instead of reading it as defeat and disgrace, you could read it as defeat and humbling, which is clearly about Gon and Hisoka and what happens during this episode. Yeah, that actually is very, oh, that's really cool. It, it's yeah, very... sometimes I really wish uh, I had an easy way of describing characters orally. I know they exist, but you need a lot of like foreknowledge to understand mm-hmm. the description. So even if I learned it, it would not necessarily be useful to try to explain it to the audience because they'd have to either be looking at a kanji dictionary or know it off the top of their head. Right. Is this with the anime episode titles? Are these the same as the manga titles? No. 
That is oh. pre- specifically why I'm highlighting them is because I honestly think the anime titles are really cool because yeah. they're word games and oftentimes the meaning is much more complex than the English version of it. Like the English version does get it right. A, like not only right, but like tells you the basic meaning very well a lot of the time. But mm. when you look at the two parts of the titles in Japanese, they normally rhyme or contain the same characters. But when translated into English, that kind of falls apart because characters don't really translate across. So that's why I take some time to look at these because I find them very interesting. What's very weird, though, is that the titles are written in kana, the phonetic system. So I have to backtrace the kana and look at the kanji to determine the similarities between the first and second half of titles. Wow. That's really cool. So, yeah, hashtag real language nerd hours. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it is. It does really show like the level of effort that's been put into the anime series, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. And also, kind of yeah, it's shows... like a really cool. Oh, sorry. Oh no! It also kind of shows how English is simultaneously a very complex and confusing yet very simple language. <laughs> yeah. So. English has the capacity to do similar things with regards to word origin, but it's just not as accessible because in order for it to work like that, you would have to explain roots from Greek, Latin, French, and the like, which you could do, but would be oftentimes a joke falls apart if you have to explain it. While when you do it with Japanese and Chinese, because the characters preserve like the ancient words that form it, it's very easy to determine etymology. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, like, I'd have to show you what a word looked like in Greek for you to get, like, a similar joke in English. Hmm. Which would be a fucking mess. Yeah, that's you You already do a lot of research <laughs> just doing oh. this for Japanese. I can't imagine how long it would take in order to go from English to ancient Greek. <laughs> oh my god, I tried it last episode. Like, I didn't, we didn't record it, but we talked about me having, like, looked into it because one of the episode's titles was like hit the target but like you know in japanese it was just hito like something tageto and so Mm -hmm. i was like you know what maybe i'll try attempting this with english words and i started it and like i got to the like end of the thing but i realized there was nothing of significance there because i was like oh what's a target and then it turned out target is the diminutive form of the word tarj and i'm like what the fuck is tarj and Tarj is like a shield that was circular shaped. So targets are just like, hey, we took those shields and just put them on stands in the distance and fired arrows at them. And I'm like, that doesn't tell you anything about the episode, though. It just tells you, like, I looked into, like, archaeological evidence about, like, shields in the Middle Ages. Right. Huh. Yeah. So, <laughs> fun times. So, uh, going to, you know, other ancient texts, uh, I'll, I, I'll tell you guys a little bit about the manga real quick. <laughs> So, uh, in the manga, as uh, Hisoka and the Cloak Dude, you know, Cloak Old Dude, that's his new name, canonical, Cloak Oldman, uh, <laughs> are about to fight. There is a crosshair over the Cloak guy that is apparently gone aiming for him. So, when I read this at first, I thought it was the sniper lady, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure she's already dead. Yeah. And so, like, I had to read it a couple times to realize, no, this is just a metaphor for how Gon is aiming for Hisoka. Oh, Interesting. That's yeah, an it's interesting a very, visual cue. Uh, yeah, it's if they had never put the sniper woman in it, I'd be like, oh, okay, well, this is understandable, it's gone. But because the sniper woman's in the story, I'm like, well, this must be her. So it made it very confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, you think that's maybe why they didn't leave it in the anime? I ho- Yeah, I think that's exactly why, because it's super confusing. So it shows the guy Hisoka picked a fight with uh, when getting the last badge start bleeding, so basically, you know how like they cross and then old guy like a uh, cloak oldman falls over. Yeah. <laughs> In the manga, he definitely just spurts blood out of his neck and falls over. So Gon instantly gets attacked by Goretta instead of when he was running away from Hisoka. So it makes more sense that Hisoka would be able to catch him like right away because it happened like right there. Right. Which is like a major miscalculation on Goretta's part. Um, but yeah. his, here's here's the big difference. Hisoka tears Goretta's head off what? and then returns to Gon with his head in his hand. Jesus Christ! Oh, that yeah. is a huge difference. Yeah, he tosses Goretta's head right, like, right in front of Gon and just walks away. 
He doesn't say anything afterwards. Like no, he he says he says the stuff, but uh-huh. it was like then he just like puts the head on the ground. And he's like whatever. Oh my god, that's brutal. And so okay, I guess it really does show like as brutal as anime can get. There is is it a censorship thing? Garota keeps his head versus loses his head in the in the anime and mangas because of censorship or. I think it's probably because of the censorship. Like, we discussed in the other episode with uh, that one uh, dude, the one examiner that Hisoka fought in the tower. Like, how they had to hint at decapitation in the 99 series, show decapitation through shadows in 2011, but in the manga, they're just like, nah, dog, decapitation right in front of you. Oh, man, that's so interesting. I mean, it makes sense, I guess, with anime. It just kind of reminds me of this very traumatic... I forgot what movie it was, but it was definitely like an ancient Jap, like set in ancient Japan. And I distinctly remember arms being decapitated, but I actually don't remember any heads. So eh, that is something. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why I was watching it, but I remember being <laughs> very like, I don't know how I got here, and I need to leave. <laughs> I need an adult. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So um, in the '99 version, uh, Kurapika reveals that his uh, boken were actually sheaths with short katanas in them, which is a detail they have in '99 that has no basis in the manga. Like, so basically, when Hisoka comes up in order to like threaten him, he, you know, the parts where the wraps are on his uh, boken, like the little wraps on them, like the cloth wraps. Yeah. He just cuts those open, and then it's just two swords. Oh my god. That's a, that's a, that sounds something that would be in the 90s. <laughs> yep. Why not? Yeah. So in the 99 version, when uh, Megan described Hisoka doing a Naruto run, he did something very different in 99, where when his blue aura happens, he fucking, like, he, like, dabs one direction and then dabs the other direction and basically dab runs at a dude oh instead of Naruto running at him. Yeah, he's just, like, he's, like, dab running as if that's, like, helping him skate across the ground or something. It's a very weird choice, and I think it's because in the manga, when they first show him, like, start his dash, he puts his arms like that, but they don't show him doing it alternatingly. So the manga's like, I don't know, we'll extend this to him doing it each time he runs. Is it? That's a little... That's interesting. That would... It would make more cultural relevance in 2018-2019 versus, like, when it first came out. But it also, that almost kind of reminds me of, like, um, I forgot what the sport is. The Olympic sport where they're, like, speed racing on ice. Oh, yeah. It, It does look like that. I wonder if maybe that was the visual cue that they were going for. That's a good call because it does actually look like speed skating. Yeah, because that's what that's comes to mind right now. Especially, was he, like, bent over? Yeah, he was. Yeah, so it might have legitimately just been, like, some animator was looking at speed skating and was like, yeah, all right. Oh, that's cool. Or we could just say he's dabbing. He just knew what was going to be popular, popping in 19, in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> Either way. Yeah, Hisoka invented dabbing. I don't know if you guys know this. <laughs> Um, but, so in this version, Greta makes a point of thanking Gon for his actions on Battleship Island, and, like, basically, he thanks Gon and says that's the only reason he didn't attack him earlier, so that's, like, the callback to that part of the filler from 99 that I actually really like, because it Mm -hmm. explains this thing that doesn't otherwise make too much sense, like the sparing, but it's, I guess, like, just what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, in this version, Garetta's decapitation is instead implied by a ray of light crossing his body while a thread snap noise is played and then Garetta falls over dead. Like, his head is still attached to his body, but it's clear that a ray of light that crossed through his head is indicative of, like, maybe he was just cut in such a way that you can't see it fall off. Huh. That sounds so, and- interesting. I, I actually kind of like... I'm visualizing it, and it, that seems really cool. It is, and so the way they indicate, uh, like, they don't, Hisoka doesn't bring over Gareta's body, instead what happens is, Hisoka appears in front of Gon wearing Gareta's hat. <laughs> Which is, like, a really weird, interesting choice. Yeah, I mean, 
I guess if they the audience didn't get it now, then they would definitely be like, yeah, Hisoka totally killed him. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, no, um, so... I, I meant to mention this in the last episode, but this is probably the last chance I'll I'll get to. It's mm-hmm. it's not relevant to like exactly what we're talking about right now, but you know the um, Bishonen like tall, lanky person with like the long hair who showed up mm-hmm. in the yeah in the previous episode, yeah. uh, who's friends with Hisoka. Yeah. Um, in the ninety nine version during the filler battleship part, they're the ones who like basically when Kilua was about to die, got him out of the way. So I'm not, I will not explain what that means, but just know that like they saved Kilua's life at some point. Kilua's life. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So when I originally explained that that a person fitting that description showed up, Megan was like, "Oh, weird foreshadowing." But yeah, we'll see what happens. So yeah, uh, with this episode, like I guess like how did you feel about it? Like what did you think of like the ideas behind it? Like I I'm a fan. Like, yeah. As much as I don't like how much this feels like the Millsy Wetland, and like I. I did mention last time that I if if they had to cut one of them, I would prefer they kept this one and like got rid of the Millsy Wetland. But aside from that, how do you feel? Oh, I liked it a lot. It just felt because I agree with you. Uh, the previous episode just felt very boring. <laughs> just like I was waiting for some like obviously things happened, but it just didn't feel like well, okay. Like, is this, is it supposed to be, like, this almost laid back in a way? Like, of course, there's, like, people are hunting each other, but it doesn't seem quite relevant. Maybe it's because Gon, for the most part, is just basically having his own training sequence, and there's nothing that he's really actively doing aside from that, and everything else is just focusing on the other characters, Um, so it doesn't feel that... It, it, there isn't a lot of, like, emotional um, things happening um, versus this episode. It's like a sucker punch to the gut when Gone gets sucker punched in the face. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> All yeah. this hard work. And he technically won, but he also ultimately lost. And it just hurts, yeah. man. He, he won a real victory and lost a moral victory, which is usually the opposite of what happens to main protagonists. Right. So, I th- I thought this episode was really cool. Yeah, same. Um, so one thing that was said in 99 that wasn't said here that I actually think is interesting because it distills sort of the, uh, like, I guess, thematic core of why this part of the Hunter exam exists. Mm-hmm. When the idea of it is introduced, uh, Kurapika in 99 says, so the point of this test is to see how good we are at hunting humans. Oh. And, like... It's definitely really cool because it, like, underscores, like, oh, 90... Well, not, like, actually 90, but a a large portion of hunters will be blacklist hunters, and you need to be able to track down another human being and possibly kill them while you're under attack. And, like, that is a core part of being a hunter, even as noble as it's possibly been portrayed up to this point. Ooh, how interesting. I like how they included that. Yeah, I wish that had been, like, backridden into, like, the manga and then, like, added to 2011. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's cool. I mean, what, do you, what are your thoughts, Joe, about the episode? Um, I, I really like how they set up, like, Gon and Hisoka's rivalry mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, you know, like, Hisoka is clearly still much stronger. But, like, unlike Toguro and Yusuke, where I feel it's a father son like a a dis like a disturbing father son relationship right like you know like one that's obviously really fucked up i feel this is much more like a senpai kohai relationship mm-hmm. but like with like a combination of that and bullying <laughs> True. but i'd say hisoka <laughs> i'd say hisoka takes it even further than bullying i think for him it's also torture yeah because it's it's all it's Basically, I mean, he beat him up physically and just psychologically tortured him, being like, you are too weak. Or I'm going to give you a win because you're that weak. So you better shape up, kid. Yeah. So I don't think this is a spoiler, um, but I do think it's something that will get emphasized more later in the series. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of weird similarities 
and and differences between Hisoka and not Gon but Kilua, and so like it's interesting seeing Gon having this bad relationship with this like this weird fucking Lady Gaga bad romance yeah. with this older guy who is similar to the person destined to be his best friend. He's interesting. Yeah, and like that's. It is very clear later that that is a comparison you are meant to draw, both like similarity and difference. Is that one of those things? Like either your best friend can be your greatest enemy, or best your greatest enemy could be your best friend. It's kind of foils either way. Yeah, I think a lot of Hunter Hunter emphasizes that like personality type and interactions matter, but so do the situation in which you're introduced to people and things right and how that can like have completely different effects on like the way that your dynamic with a person will take hold oh that's interesting it's kind of like the shonen cliche maybe in another life we could have been friends yeah (laughs) except i think i think hunter hunter actually goes out of its way to really do it as opposed (laughs) to like just like say that like you know goku just saying that about literally everyone (laughs) I'm just imagining Goku fucking hamehameha like, literal Hitler and just saying, maybe in another life we could have been friends. <laughs> oh, yeah. <sighs> Welcome to Casual Magic, the show where we explore the fun side of Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, Shivam Putt, and each week we delve into everything from casual format to explorations of creatures and card types to interviews with designers of the game. At Casual Magic, we believe that it just isn't magic without the gathering. Come along and play! How does Bloodborne stack up against, say, Oregon Trail? And is Bomberman just Loadrunner from a different point of view? Find out on Hardcore Gaming 101's Top Games, where we objectively, definitively, and scientifically rank the games you nominate for our ever-growing list. HG 101's Top Games, twice a week, every week, right here on Greenlit. So, kind of going back to the topic of hunting humans, we are going to go talk about our research topic, which Jill kind of referred to before, um, about the hunt of humans. So, this is going to be about hunting, games, and death in fiction. So, I I base my research um, off of good old TV tropes um, to kind of get a good idea of what has been commonly seen in different types of fiction, literature, um, animated media, and also, like, historically what has been seen. So, starting out, um, what big trope is hunting the most dangerous game. So, this trope involves a villain hunting down the hero. Um, usually, the villain will give the hero more of a fighting chance to survive, Um, for a bit by giving them a heads up or providing them with some sort of weapon or tools. Uh, The villain can range from either being an egomaniac hunter who sees humans or human-like humanoids as the ultimate game, um, or evil rich aristocrats who just love hunting and killing people below them. And villains, um, the heroes or the victims um, of the situation can range from being either being completely defenseless or and definitely will die to being like this badass action survivor. Um, and then somewhere along the way, the villain will try to motivate the hero to participate um, by promising their freedom if they manage to survive for a certain amount of time, which may or not be... Um, which may or not be true, and they usually can be lying, or sometimes they do have the classic villain honor of keeping to their promises, um, while also knowing that, thinking that they're going to win anyway, so why not? Um, And the relevance to Hunter Hunter is that the Hunter examinees are basically put the task where they have to target and hunt down um, each other, and They have a specific person that they have to hunt over, but everyone else is pretty much free game anyway. Um, And the biggest difference is that 
the hunter hunter examinees are voluntarily participating in this hunt um, which is also a little bit arguable because it's technically a requirement to pass the exam so yeah um, so this one's named after the uh, short story I assume Yes, it is directly based off the short story, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, and it's also kind of like plays off the it plays off the idea that humans are typically seen as the top of the food of the food chain. Um, so the really only most great the most greatest challenge or the most dangerous uh, prey to hunt would be another human. So. Man, I really can't wait till we get further in this series because someone uh, advocates changing the nature of the hunter exam in the future to include an animal that is many times scarier than human beings. Ooh, interesting. Um, so but we'll next... get to that when we get to that. Yeah, that's all. Like, I'm really, I'm really excited for that. Um, so the next one trope is a, the deadly game. And it involves characters being forced to compete in a dangerous contest um, where losing the game means losing your life. So it usually takes place in either a near future, usually dystopian settings with a corrupt authoritarian government calling all the shots. Um, all the participants are given different start times or dropped off at different isolated locations, which forces the hunt aspect. So instead of like a free-for-all brawl, um, where they can just fight right away. They're forced to like look for each other um, and either try to avoid or actively search each other out. Um, they're given weapons of various degrees of usefulness. So you can end up with either like an automatic rifle or you could get a spoon, depending on your luck. <laughs> and So is this one, I'm assuming, based on the novel and manga Battle Royale? Yes, and it actually occurs in, like, I think with a lot of different media where they have this game, like, I feel like they are inspired by Battle Royale, some will not claim to be, which is another can of worms oh, like the to open about. the Hunger Games? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Hunger Games. <laughs> um, but it, it kind of puts everything, everyone on a different playing field, whether you give a weak character, like, a, a great advantage, or a strong character a disadvantage and see if they can actually leverage what they've what they've been given to win or lose so it makes it it makes it more interesting the conflict and the game is usually televised so that what wait everyone in the nation can watch and usually it's the audience is very bloodthirsty and intense almost similar to how in ancient history there was the roman gladiators and the Colosseums, and how everyone watching from i think it's usually the audience could range from the emperor himself to like common people right or is it like kind of more of the upper class who could afford to walk to I don't know, uh, it depended where you were, but uh -huh. like there were kind of people from everywhere. Mm -hmm. If you were in a more provincial city, it was kind of less of a social stratification. But if you were in like Rome, like everyone was there. Okay, yeah. So basically, everyone was just waiting for someone to die, <laughs> and we're really excited when someone did in the most horrible way possible. And, uh, um, fun it, times. Yeah, fun times. And the game is meant to be a scare tactic in order to keep the citizens obedient. And it kind of brings up the moral question on who's the real murderers? The participants themselves, the government who created this game, or the spectators who are calling for the game to be as deadly and to complete. Um, and the relevance to Hunter Hunter is that Obviously, the the examinees are all participants um, that are out to get each other. They have specific targets, um, so but they can get points from non-target participants. Kind of like in these deadly games, usually it's a free free for all in a sense. Uh, you can kind of attack anyone you want, and that they give the participants um, the examinees different starting times, which kind of allows the hunt aspect. And while 
in the hunter exam, this phase, losing doesn't mean that you'll die, but usually losers will die anyway. Hmm. True. Mm-hmm. And finally, this is the last one. Yes, the last trope is closed circle. So this is actually more about the setting and the plot. Um, it's a simultaneously like a plot and a setting trope, and so basically, the characters are all forced to stay in one location. And they get involved in some sort of shenanigans, and they can't leave this one location until their adventure is done. And it's setting up the plot uh, can happen in a lot of different ways and works for all types of genres. So the classic way is that the heroes are traveling along when suddenly their ride breaks down and the weather is horrible. They have to take shelter in a creepy place where they get locked in and are hunted down by various crazy or haunted enemies. And they have to figure out a way to escape and survive by the morning when they can finally leave. And the only, the real relevance to Hunter Hunter for this trope is that the Hunter examinees are all dropped off onto Zevil Island and they can't leave until the one week is over. Um, so they're forced to survive not only each other but also the elements of the island like all the bug deadly bugs and also just if you never if if they're not used to like living and roughing it out in the woods they're gonna have a hard time um and they have to wait till the ship comes back and that's pretty much all the tropes yeah, nice. Yeah, these all definitely apply in, in various different ways. Uh, I'm also thinking of, like, you know, the, that game genre that came out recently, Battle Royales. Like, I feel Closed Circle describes those, but in a literal sense. Or, like, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, clo- yeah, Closed Circle. Because for those, uh, there's, like, safe zones that are marked off by circles, and everything around there is, like, damaging to people and stuff. Oh. So that wasn't what was done here, but I, I just thought it was funny how other derivatives of the same idea emphasize like similar wording even if it's a completely different mechanic in is this like a specific series of games or just now like a oh it's a it's a genre genre. uh so battle royale games are there's uh, a couple games like there's a game called player unknowns battlegrounds which is a Mm -hmm. battle royale there's Fortnite, which is like one of the biggest things in the world and there's apex legends which is another one uh call of duty has their own flavor of it as well uh it's pretty big past like two years interesting that's cool. All sort of based off a combination of 100 games and actual Battle Royale. That is that's interesting. Um, so, oh, I wish I had more um, research, but we're going to actually just focus on three um, books that came to mind when, to my mind personally, when I was watching the episodes and kind of related to the tropes we just described. The first being the most dangerous game. It is a short story, um, American short story by Richard Connell, um, in 1990, 1942. It is the inspiration for the first trope that we talk about. And the basic synopsis is that a big game hunter from New York City, he gets shipwrecked on a isolated island in the Caribbean, where he is then hunted by Zara, a very rich and bored Russian general who enjoys the thrill of hunting the most dangerous game of all humans and the similarities to Hunter Hunter is that the protagonist is stuck on an island where he has to fight to survive and also avoid being hunted for a certain amount of days um, he is given three days in the novel versus the one week in Hunter Hunter in order to win and they're seeing like some expert hunters in their element um, and a creepy antagonist who really loves hunting and killing people. And also is kind of searching for a rival in a way. Yeah, actually, that's true. That's a good point. Because mm-hmm. um, Zaroff in that story is like a famed hunter and like he's excited when he, because he knows of Rainsford. Because uh, Rainsford's like internationally re- renowned, so he's like, yeah. "Oh wow, I'm glad that I get to hunt someone as skilled as you." Like and you know, Rainsford's like, actually... "Oh no, Sorry. go ahead. Sorry, go ahead." 
Oh, like he, like Rainsford's like renowned for his ability to like track and stuff like that, but he has to sort of like rever- learn the reverse of being able to like cover his own tracks and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Ah, so that's the first one. The second one is Battle Royale. It is a Japanese novel by Koshun Takami, and it was published in 1999. So it actually is very, uh, around the same time that um hunter hunter has obviously been released like for a few years and it also aligns with the um 2019 anime version Um, do you know when the first season of survivor came out because i'm wondering if both of them were influenced by survivor i don't know let me look i have a feeling survivor was somewhere around that time yeah, so I'm wondering if either there was something in the water that everyone shared, or if Survivor led to this fertile idea for both of the things. Let me look quickly. Oh, uh, the first episode was in 2000. So it okay, never mind. It. Well, because when I was looking at it, um, the actual the first draft of the novel was completed in 1996, but he couldn't... He, it didn't get published until 1999. It was so, probably too fucking brutal, too. Yeah. I think he had to find, like, someone who'd be like, okay, let's go, let's do it. Um, so, yeah. the synopsis is that in an alternative timeline, um, just, there's a dystopian Japan which is known as the Greater East Asia Republic. Um, the fascist government selects 50 random groups of junior high students each year, forcing the students um, to fight their own classmates to the death until only one is left standing. So the similarities is that in Battle Royale, it also takes place on an isolated island where the participants are pretty much dropped off and how to figure out how to survive both the elements and each other. And they have to hunt each other in in order to win. And there's a mix of characters who have no idea what's going on to some characters who are expert action survivors. Like, they know their shit. And there are also deadly but beautiful antagonists who have the thrill to kill. And the main difference is... Have you read the novel or manga? Oh, yeah. I've read the manga. um, I've read the novel at least, like, five times. I actually have it. Um, I personally own it. Okay, wow. Yeah, I didn't know. I've only read part of the manga, and I'd like to finish it at some point. But, like, I guess... uh, Well, one, like, do you recommend it? It sounds like you do if you've read it five times. Yeah, I really recommend it. I think... It's, like, a great, um, not only is it, like, a great action, um, also in a way a horror, a horror just because of the reality of the situation. It has a lot of great social commentary in terms of, like, a fascist regime and also, like, when you're put in, like, this crazy situation, like, how it explores, like, the human like, the human, um, condition. Like, are you going to, are you going to give in to that pressure to kill? Um, or are you going to try to find a way to stick to whatever morals that you stand by? And it explores, like, a lot of different perspectives, and some people are just, like, they just don't care. Like, they just want to kill because they want to, and other people are desperate to survive. Others are more desperate to, like, keep true to themselves and try not to hurt anyone. Um, so, I really, I really like it. If you, whenever this, whenever we are, have to stop quarantining, I can lend you my coffee. <laughs> but well, that I, sounds I really... good. Maybe, maybe in the meantime, I'll just, like, <laughs> I think a lot of people might find the time to read it while we're all quarantined. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's available in an ebook form if you prefer that, or you can honestly find it at Amazon or different mm-hmm. retail stores are probably shipping and doing delivery. So I would highly recommend it if you're into 
kind of the more social commentary action stories. Nice. Cool. So now to get to uh, something that totally was not influenced. Totally not influenced. <laughs> so, The Hunger Games is an American novel by Suzanne Collins. It or it's now actually a series. Um, it was published in two thousand and eight in in post-apocalyptic dystopian nation of Panem, which is located in North America. Katniss Everdeen volunteers to take her sister's place in the Hunger Games, which is an annualized televised competition in which 24 teenage contestants are locked in an arena and have to fight to the death only until one person remains. And similar to Battle Royale, it shares similarities to Hunter x Hunter by taking place in an isolated area where the participants have to figure out how to survive, um, not only the environment, but also survive each other since they're being forced to hunt each other down in order to win and there's a mix of characters who don't know what's going on and won't survive and characters who are very familiar with hunting and know or just fighting in general and can survive yeah so i was also very obsessed with this probably because i read battle royale before and then i read hunger games and I, was, I don't know. I just love the idea of teens. <laughs> of maybe my teenage years, I was very into the idea of teens fighting the system while also trying to survive each other. It's very much like high school. <laughs> maybe that's why I really like them. <laughs> Lol. Yeah, no, it's interesting hearing about you and a couple other people I know really liking it because I was a bit older when it came out, so I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I feel like maybe as an adult, um, like it just seems like a horrific situation overall versus I feel like as a teen with the main characters, you can kind of put them more in your place and feel like if they can overcome this, I can overcome it. While as an mm -hmm. adult looking at it, it's like that should never happen to these children. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> but that's the world we've been given, huh? Yep. So... Yeah, and those are the three main ones that I could think of. There's also, like, a ton of other um, stuff. Like, I know Death Race, which I never watched before. I just know it has Jason Statham in it. So oh, that's, uh, that's a remake. The original Death Race <laughs> is from the 70s. Oh, cool. The original um, one is... They're both goofy, but for very different reasons. Yeah, I'll check it out. I love those. Yeah, I love the Jason stuff. Statham one's fun. Yeah, I don't. Know, is there anything that you kind of found similar in tones of themes or tropes um, that you maybe a bit of read before? Uh, mm -hmm. I guess maybe a bit of um, Lord of the Flies, but that has yeah. more to do with them being on an island and like sort of contemplations on like people's willingness to kill and stuff but i think mm -hmm. it does have a lot more structurally with like battle royale and, and the like rather than rather than lord of the flies yeah I, the lord of the flies definitely reminds of it i mean it has the aspect of survival and also what's going to push you to either kill or not kill also it deals with a bunch of like young teen, young young children forcing to do it more so than i guess the other two when i feel like the kids are going to be the kids in both battle royale and hunger games are a little most of them are older than well how than gone is in kiloa too yeah yeah for sure well i mean kiloa is kind of a, a weird circumstance where right in Gon's case, it's like, oh, wow, never thought I'd be in this situation where Kilo is like, this is uh, less hectic than my job. <laughs> it's basically a vacation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. But, yeah, that's uh, kind of what we got for this uh, for this block, unless you have uh, some more thoughts. Uh, no, that's all I can really think of. Um, if you guys are listening, if you have any any other types of shows or books or really any type of media that kind of reminds you of these tropes and also this particular few episodes of hunter hunter just let us know we're interested to find out 
Yeah, good stuff. Well, uh, on that note, uh, thank you so much for listening to the Spirit Hunters. Please hit us up with questions, requests, or just to chat at our Facebook at Spirit Hunter Pod and our Twitter at Spirit Hunter Pod. Um, normally here we'd ask you to donate to our Kofi, but uh, with things kind of going on right now, uh, earnestly there's a lot better things to be donating to, such as like medical causes and uh, help for people who have recently become unemployed due to the crisis. So uh, in the meantime, if you could just like rate us, uh, give us a rating on like Apple Podcasts or any other service like that, it'd be greatly appreciated. Um, we really understand that times are tough right now, so you know, do what you think is right. Mm-hmm. But uh, Today's intro music was made by Soul slash Harmoyu. Uh, check them out at uh, youtube.com slash user slash Harmoyu. And uh, the outro music, you kind of know the spiel about it. It's from the Arabic version of Hunter Hunter. Y- you get it. <laughs> but uh, next week, hopefully, we'll be back with the whole crew. Um, everyone, again, is, or at least most of the whole crew, everyone's kind of scattered to the four winds. Um, Patrick may or may not be sick, but we'll find out, I guess. Hopefully not. Um, but everyone, please stay safe, take care of yourself, and take care of those around you. Uh, we really hope everyone is well. Yeah. Stay safe, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Yep. See you guys later. Bye. Yeah.